and crooks and they're the same to me. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast, where we talk with musicians about songwriting and music making. Our guest for this one is Buffalo Nichols, whose self-titled debut record is just out on Fat Possum Records. The intro music clip you're hearing is Living Hell, one of the great cuts on this record. We will get back to talking about the interview and the album in just a second. For now, we have some exciting business to attend to. I'm joined once again here in the Tell You What studios by the executive producer and spiritual advisor to the podcast. Always fun to have Susan here. Present. Accounted for. But she is here. You are here on official business this time. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you about the project Susan undertook recently. As part of her ever-expanding list of powers and duties here at Tell You What Studios, <laughs> Susan has gone back and listened again, once again, to every one of our episodes all the way through, all 35 of them, and compiled a lot of interesting information for us. Now... Ever the term labor of love is applicable, this is clearly it, right? I can't think of a better way to spend 30 or so hours of my time, but still, it was a lot. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. You gonna do it again next year? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the result of this work, this labor of love, is this wonderful spreadsheet. I hold it in my hands right here. If it's possible to hold a spreadsheet in your hands, I'm doing it. Lays out common traits, shared experiences, interesting facts, that kind of thing that arose in the conversations with our various guests. Susan compiled all this information for us. For example, we now know at a glance which of our guests said that the guitar was their first instrument, right? Mm -hmm. We know that while four guests listed Bob Dylan as an early influence, two mentioned the Bare Naked Ladies (laughs) as an influence, right? Yeah. Interesting. We also know which artists have used murder as subject matter for a song. More than one. More than one. Which of our guests talked about being a terrible person? <laughs> more than one, again, interestingly, right? It wouldn't have made, made the spreadsheet if it wasn't more than one. We can now answer all of these important questions. All this information is at our fingertips. So thank you to our executive producer for doing this it's a living document so I guess I am going to do it next year because unlike that Radley piece of paper that you just held up yes I actually can just keep updating this it's a living document document. it exists in in the ether and in our brains carbon Mm -hmm. so now you were probably asking you the listener hey Mike that's cool and all but what are you going to do with all this powerful data right which is of course a great question which I will now answer. The first thing we will do, of course, is have a listener contest. Those of you who know me know that one of the things I like almost as much as a good spreadsheet is a contest, right? (laughs) Sweepstakes, lottery, raffle, 50-50, jingle writing competition, dance marathon, I am always all in, right? Right. Mostly dance marathons. So we are inviting you, our talented, nerdy, and highly competitive listenerhood, to participate in the inaugural Tell You What Trivia Quiz. Yes. So we will make this first one very simple for you. One question. And since most of you, I'm sure, have been keeping your own spreadsheets, have you listened to every episode, this should be an easy one. 
You also have the option to go back and listen again to all the episodes, right? Find the answer. Find the answer. In this particular case, you can also just guess. I don't actually care. Guessing will be easy in this situation. Here's the question. How many of our guests, of the 35 artists we've had on the show, how many are related to each other? Good question, right? Mm -hmm. Good question. Bonus points. Yes. To clarify one thing, at the start, the related members would both have had to have been part of the interview. We've had at least one case where a family member played on the artist's record. We're not counting that. Okay. 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 So both people would have to have been part of the actual interview as guests. Let's clarify further. What qualifies as related? Susan? Right. Uh, Either siblings, parent and child, or spouses. Spouses count. Is there anything else? Well, how about grandparent, grandchild? Okay. That would count? Yeah. How about godparent? No. Lab partner? No. What about pen pals? I thought you were going to say a lab, like a pet, like a dog. <laughs> what about pen pals? No, doesn't count. So, marriage or blood? That would be yeah. basically the there you go. qualifications. Yeah. Okay. Second clarification, or I guess third, but who's counting? This will be on the spreadsheet, maybe. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. How many clarifications we have. <laughs> <laughs> These relations would have to be in place at the time of the interview. Yeah. We have had at least one pair of guests (laughs) who got married after the interview. So that would not count. Okay. The marriage counts. (laughs) Right? But not the the contest. Oh, God. Right? Okay. So There's some tricky territory now. Yes. So, right. So we had a pair of guests who got married. Maybe the interview had something to do with that. But that's also not part of the contest. Final clarification. (laughs) I told you it was going to be simple. The answer you calculate would be one for every pair or triplicate or whatever guests that are related. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the Jackson 5 would count as one. Not five. Not five. Right. Remember that episode? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that would be one. So mm-hmm. one tally mark for each episode that contained mm-hmm. related guests. Add it up. That's the question. Give us the number. You can send your answer, which will be a number. Thank mm-hmm. you for pointing that out. No essays necessary, although we welcome all flourishes you care to include, whatever they may be. Okay. You can email us the answer at tellyouwhatpodcast at gmail.com. This email address is available via our website or the uh, sections of the various podcasts or social sites in the about areas. Or you can shuffle into our DMs, right? Or <laughs> Isn't that what they do? Or message us on the various social media places where we have a presence. Any of those are acceptable ways to contact us. And now you're asking, hey Mike, this is a great contest, right? What will the winner get? Well, let me tell you, we have some fabulous tell you what merch here. Highly prized gear that is usually reserved for our wonderful guests. The winner will receive a merch bundle from us. Bundle? Can one thing be a bundle? I think so. No? Well, well, I will bundle it up before I take it to the post office. There you go. So there. Merch bundle it is. Will come your way if you win this contest. Anyway, you will not be disappointed. You will be the talk of the coffee machine area when you show off this particularly awesome item. So again, how many guests on our podcast, how many episodes have featured guests who have been related, send your answers and anything else you want to us. Tell you what podcast. 
What's that? We reject all the essays, even though they're happy. We will read the We're essays. We're happy to receive them. We then reject them. Well, we might mark them up and <laughs> correct them and send them back. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, send them to us at tellyouwhatpodcast at gmail.com or hop into the DM area and give us an answer there. All acceptable. All right. Wow. Now, let's finally talk about this episode and our guest, Buffalo Nichols. I was looking forward to this one. We were at the wonderful Mile of Music Festival in August at Appleton, Wisconsin. Wasn't that great? It was great. Thank you to the city of Appleton, Wisconsin for existing and putting on this great festival. Everyone who gets a chance should check it out. It was great. So we went up there and we saw Buffalo Nichols perform. I was first of all amazed and entertained by his guitar skills, amazing work on the acoustic slide guitar. But his songs were what really drew me in. As evidenced on his new record, he has some great songwriting chops. So after the festival, I reached out, and this conversation is the result. We covered some interesting ground, including how he views his position as a young black songwriter and musician creating original music within the traditions of the American blues format. He talks about people's expectations of him in that role, and how some of what he is creating is, in part, a reaction to those, in his opinion, unrealistic or unwelcome expectations. I also found it interesting when we discussed the sheer number of Buffalo Nichols songs that have been written, many recorded, and how he has, since the songs on this record were recorded, already evolved his songwriting in new directions. Despite the fact that Nichols has been an accomplished performing musician for over 10 years, I get the feeling he is in some ways still figuring out his talents and potential. I really look forward to what he brings to us in the future. In the meantime, this is a great record, some amazing, simply beautiful guitar work underpinning emotional and sometimes challenging lyrics. I highly recommend. If you are a fan of blues music, particularly acoustic guitar blues, you will love this record. But even if you are not particularly, if you happen to like great songwriting, you should check this out. Quick shout out to Rob Pascolo at 10 Adams Management for helping make this conversation happen. Thanks very much, Rob. One more, I hope, very quick item. In talking with some of our devoted listeners, I realized that it might be helpful or interesting for some of you to actually hear some of our guests' music before listening to the podcast. It might make for a more informed listen. So I will list the songs we will be discussing in each episode right up that you can see on iTunes, Spotify, or the website intro. I will also maybe make a short Spotify playlist of them that you might be able to make use of. So you could then listen to the three or four songs we discuss ahead of time or after. Maybe some of you will find that helpful or fun. Good idea? Maybe. Maybe. All right, don't forget to enter the contest. Tell you what, podcast at gmail.com. So let's get to it. Here is our Tell You What discussion with Buffalo Nichols. Till that day comes, I still live in, live in hell, live in hell, die and go to heaven, live in hell, live in hell, live in hell, will I die and go to heaven? All right, Buffalo Nichols, welcome to Tell You What the Podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to meet with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you are coming to us from your musical home of Austin, Texas. Do I have that correct? That's right. Great. As we talk now, it's August. You're a couple months away from your record release. 
but you've been out there touring a bit, playing these songs that are on the record. Are you really looking forward to having these songs finally get out into the world? Yeah, it's been a long, a long time that I've been, you know, dealing with these songs. So it'll be nice to, well, to get them out there, but also to be done with them and, and move on. Yeah. But when you get them out there, you're going to be out touring behind them as well, right? Yeah, that's that would be the smart thing to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I these songs are, I've been playing them for so long now that I've, you know, depending on how I'm feeling, I can make a set out of them. But generally, I there's not a whole lot of this record in my set. Interesting. Uh, well, we'll get back to some of those songs a little later. For now, let's get back in time a little bit to your early years. Are there, uh, you were up in Milwaukee, do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. Are there musical memories you have, music you remember hearing in your home or community that maybe has made its way into your creative process now in some way, do you think? Yeah, definitely. My earliest musical memories are sitting in the backseat of the car and my mom always kept it on the, the local jazz station. Well, it was a, a smooth jazz station. Uh-huh. So a lot of Kenny G in my, <laughs> in my early days. But I really did like the, uh, there's like the, a lot of that new age kind of stuff. Like, right. uh, I can't really remember any of the names, but I know that that new age smooth jazz stuff was just really comforting. And I think that's been a thing that I've, uh, tried to run away from is like music that's comforting i've always wanted some to be somewhat abrasive but mm -hmm. i think i finally given in and my as you know as time progresses i've been more comfortable with people telling me that my music soothes them and doesn't upset them so that's interesting yeah so when did playing music start for you, you, you guitar was your first uh instrument i assume yeah i picked up guitar when I was about, I'll say, 11 years old, I think. And it just felt kind of natural, like second nature. I didn't, I, I was self-taught, you know, I never had any kind of musical, formal musical training at all. So just, the guitar was just fun for me. And then yeah. as time progressed, I realized I was good enough to, you know, to make, they just started to make the connection between my emotions and the instrument and it just yeah. felt like something that i wanted to do so it's hard for me to believe given the skills you have now that you were self-taught were you just listening to records on the radio and trying to copy them is that how you learned yeah that was it um you know like i said it was, it was fun for me it was never a something that i labored over a lot well later on i did but in the beginning i would just hear something that i that i liked and I would just keep listening to it and keep working at it until, until I was able to make those sounds real. And I was, and this is like, you know, I mean, I was young, but this is also before the smartphones. So, and before simple, YouTube, before YouTube. Right. So like simple pleasures like that were enough to, to keep me entertained for, for yeah. weeks. Did I read you skipped school to stay home and practice guitar? Yeah. I don't know if the two are related. I was just skipping school anyway. And then... <laughs> I was going to say, you weren't going to get high at the beach like my kids. You were home practicing your guitar. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're both uh, 
depending on you know what you do, they can both be pretty big waste of time. But I, <laughs> I made a career out of it. That's you mean just... school and the guitar? No, I mean the guitar and, and getting high. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seemed to work out for you. Yeah. Did I also read the church played an interesting role in some of your early music uh, experiences? Uh, I, I guess it might be interesting to some people, but it was a, it was a little bit later on. By the time I was a, uh, like a, in my late teens, and I'd already, okay. I'd already, you know, kind of started my musical career. I was putting out music uh, with my friends. We were making like uh, punk or right. metal or something, and we did that and like did the demo, and that was our thing. And then after that became like, after I decided that I wanted to try to make a living at music, that was when I got in to church which is not the the holiest thing but yeah i only played in the church for the money <laughs> hey whatever it takes you know <laughs> so you started playing music with other people in high school with these these friends of yours you're playing the punk and metal music yeah that might have been i think it started in middle school and then you know by the time we were in high school it was kind of a a more serious thing but it never really you know progressed beyond the, the basement it was just uh i was really just learning playing guitar i was still playing all that like you know those smooth jazz stuff and i got introduced to my mom's you know blues albums and all that stuff but as far as the music i was making with other people it was all sort of aggressive stuff yeah but when you were home you were playing jazz you were playing blues you're playing punk you're playing all of these things at the same time to get on your guitar yeah, everything that I heard, I tried to, I tried to figure out how to play it. And eventually, you became somewhat of a hired gun in Milwaukee, right? Playing in all different kinds of bands. Do I have that right? Yeah. By the time I uh, was done with high school, I kind of just uh, sort of found myself playing in different bands. You know, I would, I, I kind of kept that same mentality of just finding every everything interesting and i just played with anybody who'd have me so on different different nights of the week you might be playing completely different kinds of music yeah you know eventually you get a reputation and you end up getting kind of stuck in a certain genre like i kind of had a i was known for playing reggae music which i didn't that was one thing that i kind of skipped in my adolescence i never listened to reggae music but uh i ended up in a lot of reggae bands and started listening to it and then it kind of got to a point where I was like, all right, if I don't make an effort, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. So, right. And you know, I started branching out playing different like Caribbean music and uh, West African music and the occasional like, you know, cover band here and there. So what about writing your own music? When did that start for you? Uh, well, it really started in those in those early days, you know, those the punk bands that was all original music okay uh but it never you know after i kind of moved on from that i kept writing songs uh but i, I never saw it as a as a career or anything or even anything to do it was just something that i liked doing so it, it just became a thing it was a thing that i did privately with like with actually no intention of anyone ever hearing it until yeah. You know, until I was about 25, yeah, about five years ago now. Huh. So what about singing? Were you singing this whole time in these various 
formations of bands you were in? No, that was another thing that I, I've always been just a very private person and I just, I did all the stuff at home because I, it was something to do when I was by myself. So I was singing and I didn't have, you know, the confidence as a singer. So it was just like, just something to, to do with your mouth, you know, <laughs> to, to kind of make the music full. Right. So it was, it was like a lot of like, you know, stream of consciousness, nonsense lyrics for a while. And then I started taking it more seriously, but it was still, you know, probably five years of trying to be a better singer and lyricist before, you know, people actually heard me do it. So eventually, if I have your timeline right, you ended up taking some time off for music altogether, right? Yeah, and that's happened, you know, several times in my career where yeah. I just didn't, I, I, like my curiosity would kind of get the best of me and I would end up just somewhere where I didn't really intend to be. So I would have to just make it all stop. So I think the first time I did that, I was probably about 20, 21 or 22 and I did it again. Well, I kind of did it on and off. So you're saying that you were in a place in your life where you weren't happy, so you stopped doing everything? Is that Do I, do I have that right? Um, yeah, pretty much. Like I would, when I found myself with the these intense schedules where I'm like, you know, playing with this reggae band on Friday and then driving halfway across Wisconsin to play with this, you know, Ghanaian African band on Saturday, and I was just like, you know, enjoying it and appreciating the experience, but also feeling like everybody kind of has something going for themselves. And I'm just, you know, the, this, the supporting role just didn't feel right. So I felt yeah. like I needed to, to do my own thing, not necessarily musically, but I just felt like, you know, I needed to, you know, I guess it's one of those things that humankind does just take a bit of a journey to kind of get in touch and figure out who you are. Yeah. So can you talk about that time, maybe the most recent time you took where you were not playing music after being such a big part of your life, what, what the absence of playing music felt like and how you found your way back? Yeah, I remember once, um, you know, driving from Milwaukee to Madison for this festival gig and I remember uh, once I got to Madison, I locked my keys in my car. So I had to like call my sister to come bring me my extra set of keys. And for some reason in that time while I was waiting, I just thought like, why am I doing this? And I, I could hear the music in the background at the festival and it was just like, I couldn't, music just didn't sound like it used to, you know, it just sounded like noise. So I felt like I might've you know, overloaded myself and burnt myself out. So I remember in that moment, I decided I was just going to just quit every band I was in. And yeah, I, I quit. And I, at that point, I was like making a living off music. So I just started working. It's whatever, you know, whatever job I could, that would hire somebody who hadn't, who had a five year gap in their resume. <laughs> and, right. You know, I started washing dishes and working in factories and stuff. And I just did that diligently, you know, I would work like 50 60 hour weeks and then just save as much as i could and then just go go traveling for a little while until the money ran out and, and repeat so what did what was it like not to have that music in your life after say a couple of months 
it's 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 kind of hard to say because I never I don't remember ever really missing it because mm-hmm. music was always a solitary thing for me. It's like as long as I was just playing by myself, I was I was happy. So you were still playing during this right. time of not performing. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's that's what it was. Because like, I I've I've never really been able to. I've never really tried to completely stop making yeah. music because it's not like I said before. It's not a chore for me. It's not something that that bothers me. It's the like performing was the a business aspect. Yeah, performing was something that I never really enjoyed doing. All those yeah. days that I was playing in all those bands, like I didn't really like it that much. Like I would just go, you know, I'd go to the gig. Like I was known for not being social. I would just go to the gig. I would play and like, you know, before the rest of the band had broken down their gear, I'd already be gone. You know, like yeah, it was all it was all about the the music for me. I mean, it still is. So, do you feel like playing solo now gives you a different way to approach that? Yeah, it really does because, uh, well, one of the th- I guess it's a a little backstory to this answer, but. Once I started traveling and I started like uh, like I spent a lot of time in in Germany, and I would just go to different you know nightclubs and and see people playing, and it was the first time I really saw this sort of culture where people would just go and hang out and like people there. It's it's hard to I don't want to generalize, but I felt like when I went there there was just like this different appreciation for artists. Yeah. I have heard that from other artists as well. Yeah. So the first time I went to Europe, I wasn't playing at all. I was just kind of checking things out. And then I thought, you know what, maybe this whole music thing is just different from what I've, I've been just putting this wrong, weird kind of pressure on it. Hmm. And um, so basically long story short, I started feeling like playing solo gives you this, and maybe it's a weird answer, but it gives you this control over the of the mood, I guess. You know, because I was going to these places like bars and nightclubs and and playing this dance music, and that's just not that's not my scene. I'm like I'm not that kind of person, right. so I just felt uncomfortable there. But then I started playing solo, and like I could create, I could set the mood, and it could be this sort of introspective thing. And then I don't feel like I have to just get out of there immediately. Like I can. I can attract the right kind of energy and then it's like a, you know, a safer, more comfortable space for me and people like me. Right. I just want to make a point. There are no weird answers. We actually okay. welcome <laughs> any of the weirdness, just to be clear. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, um, so you're in Germany and, and you talked about a different appreciation there for artists. Did you find maybe a, a greater or different appreciation or respect for the traditional American forms like blues form in particular than you than you did here yeah definitely um well there were there were two there were two ways that i looked at at the whole thing one was this appreciation that they had for something that was you know foreign to them or maybe they it was exotic Mm -hmm. to them or something just general culture cultural appreciation that i think is more prevalent in europe than in america not to say that you know Europe is the model, but America can be kind of a cultural wasteland. Yeah. And, you know, depending on the time of year. Um, all over Europe, I noticed a sort of a, 
the bar was a little bit lower, you know, to be completely honest. Like I would see acts that were like, you know, not good, but yeah. their Americanness gave them this authenticity that people really just were excited about. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, if I don't have to be that good, then what's stopping me? <laughs> that's, that's the biggest challenge, and they don't even worry about that. Maybe I could go finally start my career over there. Maybe you just gave me a great idea. Yeah, they're waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about your process a little bit if we can. So as we've mentioned, you've, through your career, you've written songs in various styles and genres, as you talked about. How much do you think playing the guitar in the style you are now, the acoustic slide blues, how much do you think that impacts the substance and the ideas of the songs you're writing? Does this style bring out lyrical ideas that, that some other style might not? Yeah, I think in some ways, uh, but really it's, it's, uh, it's the other way around for me because I've always, uh, been, you know, of the school of thought that says that the blues is a, a vocal style first. Okay. So I think the way that I play is, is always supporting the way that I sing. Hmm. So it is like having, you know, playing slide is like having a, a backup singer and it kind of, it really, at least in the beginning, it's very, it simplified the way that I wrote lyrically because it felt more important to get the emotion out of the words than to put, than to put the words into the song, you know? Yeah. But I've, you know, I've, I kind of fluctuate and go away from that, but I always come back to it whenever I'm sitting with a, you know, a guitar and an open tuning with a slide with the intention of writing a song. It always starts out with, you know, vocal tones and, and the words just kind of take on a different meaning. Yeah. So it's, it's interactive, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to talk about this wonderful style you play because I, one of the hallmarks of it is you're effectively playing the bass or really the rhythm section of the low strings, right? While the slide is playing this amazing, these amazing melodies. I don't know how you do it. I can't even walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> but it creates, it really does. I, I have to get back to this. It creates like an emotional range of sound, just you and the guitar, right? I mean, it. It, it's pretty remarkable uh, atmosphere you can create with just you and one instrument. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm trying to get back to the does this provide inspiration for some of the the the, 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 the themes and the and the the lyrics that you're writing? But I guess you kind of already answered that question. Yeah, but I, I also think it's uh, I think generally. It, it it sends me in a certain direction that I that was not my intention. I think when I started writing these kind of you know uh, finger style slide songs, it started to make more sense to lean into this sort of atmospheric uh, you know emotional kind of things because there's no I'm trying to like create a, a sonic palette with the guitar and I'm not really trying to like show off or anything. So I, people are either going to be, they're either going to be with me or they're not. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm a lot, I feel like a lot more uh, 
subdued and patient with how I try to get things across lyrically because it's like I'm just everything is put there kind of delicately if that makes sense yeah I, I've just for the record I'm with you okay good. not against you <laughs> oh thanks you've made a fan of me okay <laughs> there is a question I like to ask songwriters who are working within a traditional music genre where, where songs are passed down and interpreted as part of that tradition like say bluegrass or traditional folk genres I like to hear about how artists find their place in these historical traditions whilst, while introducing new songs at the same time. For you, this seems really important to what you are doing um, within this traditional blues, American folk blues tradition. Can you talk about how you see your place in this tradition, particularly in terms of bringing new songs to it? Yeah, I think um, as far as songs go, I think that's that's definitely the most important thing because the repertoire from this genre, you know, this, this, this style of music, um, is, you know, it's a hundred years old now. Yeah. And a lot of it, there's like this weird middle point with this, you know, the revival blues or folk revival of the sixties where, you know, everybody now is, is referencing this moment from, you know, 50 years ago, and those people are ref are a revival of something that happened 40, 50 years before that. So the whole genre tends to, you know, often get stuck in this thing that's very old and important, but also kind of painful, I think, because, you know, obviously the the plight of black people in America has not changed a lot, but right. the way that we the way that we talk about it and the way we react to it has changed. And I think that's that's why I think the music of the past is so important, but if we don't have these new songs, it's gonna make less and less sense to the next generation. Right. I think this is a good time to bring up the song Another Man, right? Very sure. very raw, powerful song. The message seems to be as kind of where, where you're going with your answer to the previous question, that even though a lot of time has passed, position of the black person in America in a lot of ways has not changed at all, right? So so can you talk about the writing of this song? Yeah. Um, well, I wrote that song. Well, I guess I, I started thinking about writing it after I heard Odetta do the her rendition of the the song that was recorded by Vera Hall, the song about the prison work farms. And then I basically just, you know, I just like walking around, listening to it, to it and it just made sense to, to, you know, sort of make a, a 21st century version of it. But I wrote that song in maybe 2017. Oh, wow. And before, yeah, before, before I did that, um, before I did that, you know, sort of reworking of that song, I had tried for a while to write a song like that. And I kept getting this uh, reaction because at the time I was playing, you know, in this Americana folk bluegrass world. Right. And I kept getting this reaction from people like I was supposed to have the answers. Always white people. Whenever I would try to express some kind of anger and frustration in the music, 
you know, I would get this reaction like, I'm, like I owe them a conversation or I need some kind of solution. So that was the catalyst for that song was like, I'm not giving you any answers. This is not my, this is a fight that I was born fighting, but I'm not going to let you put the burden of, of winning it on me. And I'm just angry. And that's all. You know, I'm not here to start a conversation. I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm just telling you that I'm angry. The, the sad irony of this song is you had to resurrect a song from almost the last century, right? With basically the same message. Right. And that was the, I think that was a sort of, you know, light bulb in my head was like, I'm looking for this way to say something. And it's already been said. So I'm, there's no need to beat myself up to try to like, you know, make this, um, make a piece of work that's going to like make people wake up. It's like yeah. this, the message is already out that people just don't want to hear. Yeah. Another man is dead. Another man is dead. Another man is dead. They put a bullet in his head. Another man is dead. When my grandpa was young, he had to hold his tongue. They'd hang you from a bridge downtown. Now they call it stand your ground. Another man is dead. Let's talk more about this record, self-titled Buffalo Nichols. Some of these tracks, uh, I understand, were actually demos that found their way onto the final uh, product, right? Um, That's right. The arrangements and production are pretty spare and raw. Was there an effort here to honor the style and vibe of the older blues recordings that that you're kind of were inspired by? Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, well, there's a lot of reasons for why it sounds the way it does, but uh, one of them is that point in my life where I was a very, I wanted to be a very proficient guitar player and I just wanted to be like the most technical and perfect guitar player I could be. And then the older I got and the more music I absorbed, I, started, I just stopped caring about any of that stuff. And I started getting more and more into, you know, outsider music and just different ways that, of expressing yourself that are not tied to a certain, you know, production style or that just became a sort of uh, a lifestyle for me. It was like, play the song and that's it. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't need a big production. It doesn't need to be, you know, meticulously done. If the emotion is there, then then it'll reach the people that it needs to. Yeah. Well, it works really well, I have to say. Um, let's talk about the song Lost and Lonesome, this single that's been out for a bit now. By the way, it's getting a lot of positive attention, so congrats for that. Thank you. Musically, it's a beautiful example of the acoustic slide style. There's this almost hypnotic bass line underneath this sweet, uh, mournful melody line, a song maybe about the life of a wandering musician, right? Can you talk about this? Yeah, that song has a, there's just a lot of different things that I just put into one song. Uh, but to me, it's just like 
the arc of my whole life from just being a probably depressed child who always looked angry all the way to becoming a musician where, you know, it's hard to, or a traveling musician, like you said, it's hard to, you know, really maintain strong relationships with people. And, you know, these people who you consider your best friends, sometimes people that you only get to see for a week out of the year. Um, yeah. And what it, what it does to just be, uh, committed to a lifestyle that is just by nature, very solitary kind of selfish. I had to ask the question how you learned to love like that. She tried to answer as she pulled the knife out of her back. And when I asked the question how you learned to love again gonna suffer anyway but it's better with a friend you're gonna suffer anyway ain't it better with a friend I'd like to talk about point of view in your songwriting I noticed there's a lot of first person here the narrator is telling us things directly is this maybe a product of the genre, like a traditional technique of the blues, or is this just your personal approach to the way you write? Um, I think it's probably more a, a stylistic blues thing because there were probably 50 or 60 demos for this album. That wow. Might, that, yeah, that might be, hopefully will be released. Well, not the demos, but the recordings will hopefully be out there. But as I started to just write more and more, I started to work a lot more with different points of view because I felt that, I really felt like there's this um, unfair expectation of of folk singers and blues singers and particularly uh, black artists to tell this sort of first person, first hand kind of uh you know, real life stories. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I really wanted to get away from that. And that's one of those things that I I started doing it. And then I don't think, I don't really think any of those made the record, unfortunately. But I think, um, yeah, at, as far as what you hear on the record, it was, to me at the time, it felt like regardless of whose story you're telling, people will find it more relatable that they think it's coming from the person singing it. So I guess just to help that that people make that image in their head, if if they think it's me, they'll give me a little bit more, um, I guess just a little more attention. It makes it more personal. Yep. I want to get back to the 50 or 60 demos comment. These are, <laughs> these are 50 or 60 different songs all mostly original, some covers that you recorded during this time period before this record? Yeah, all original songs. Wow. Those, the two covers that are on the album were not done until, you know, after everything was finished. That's a lot um, of original material you got in the vault. Yeah, and this is all like, you know, over a year ago now, so there's there's a few more since then. Yeah. Um, I look forward to the box set. Yeah, right. The, the deluxe edition. Yeah. <laughs> no, but <laughs> that's that is quite a productive time period for you. 
yeah, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm trying to be better about it, but I've always been the kind of person who writes a song and then is just done with it. Yeah. So I'm going to try to go back to some of those. And So if, if someone were to see you on tour, would they be hearing some of those songs or would they be hearing newer ones you've written since then? Yeah, well, some new stuff, some, a lot of songs from, from those, from that period where I was writing for the album. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really am, uh, you know, for better or worse, I'm very sensitive to the audience. So if I feel like um, I'm not being listened to, then I'll just play, you know, some of these just straight ahead blues songs that are probably about nothing. Yeah, but you know, when I get a, a a a thoughtful, attentive crowd, then I'll play, you know, some of those songs that are still in the vault, and I and people have really seemed to resonate. They connect with those a lot, so I'm hoping that I'll be able to get those out soon. Yeah, let's. T- I want I want to dig into that a little bit about live performance and how this connection or lack thereof you feel with the audience. Can you talk about that and the sense that you get and what it is you're trying to do? Yeah, I think um, at, at this point in my life, live performance is the main is my main intention when I'm writing because I feel like I have to. Um, the only way to give a convincing performance of a song is to have a convincing song. So I'm always thinking about what this song is going to feel like, especially when you're like, you know, in some small venue where you got twelve people staring at you, like. What are you going to do to, you know, to show them that you appreciate that they're there and to make them feel like it's worth their time? And let me uh, stop patting myself on the back and can you repeat the question? <laughs> no, you're on the right track. I, yeah. I, I, I'll follow up by saying, so when you are writing songs now, you are writing with an audience in your head. It's not you're not writing for a record or for yourself. You're thinking about playing the song live as it is being written. Right, which may not be the best. I mean, I think there there comes a time where it's right to think of an album. But yeah, for me, I'm I'm always thinking about that uh, that live performance. Yeah, and when you are performing live, you can get a sense for the level of interaction you're having with the audience in real time. Yeah, I think that's something I might have picked up from being, a, you know, a, a hired gun kind of freelance guitar player. Is like how to get a reaction out of people. Um, so, you know, whenever I, I, cause 90% of my audiences at this point in my career are people who have never heard of me or even heard my music period. Right. So, you know, the first couple songs is to gauge, you know, just and what they do and don't like from me. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, ever pander to an audience and like, you know, I see a bunch of, flannel shirts and MAGA hats I start playing country music or something like I don't want to <laughs> you're not going to go that far <laughs> I'm not going to go that far but you know it's like it's it's the reason why I love performing is that you can see what words and what emotion is connecting with people and I really try to like lean into it yeah and sometimes I'll just go to the extreme and I'll be like give them everything I got and see how far they're willing to come with me Interesting. So your set list, if you have one, is a live living thing when you're on stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's usually a point where I'm willing to give people, like if people are looking bored, you know, I'll do some fancy guitar work 
just to you know keep their interest yeah but i only do that as a means to like get them to actually listen and then try something more more emotional and and see if if you know if that works for them too yeah that's great let's talk about a couple more songs while we have time i want to, uh, the song how to love i try to be an optimistic person i hear some optimism in this song lessons learned from hard times do you see it that way yeah definitely it's uh definitely a light at the end of the tunnel kind of song just the the idea of forgiveness and all all of these songs have you know a, a bit of myself in them but i always am taking from you know other people as well and you know delivering it in first person but right. um but the song is really just about the how much forgiveness a person is should be allowed you know because everybody you want to give people the same grace that you want them to give you but it can get you at an unfair disadvantage if you let it go on for too long i think the arrangement here is worth noting too it starts with the guitar only second part there's a simple drum beat that comes in then later we hear this rhythmic i think it's tambourine comes in i think this adds to the optimism of the song kind of the progression of the sounds builds do you think that maybe was intentional? Yeah, because um, I've always played that just with guitar, but I do feel like it's it's a little bit hidden in there, but you start to feel the hope lyrically and musically towards the end. I try to pick up the energy and you see like, you know, it's it's kind of sounds at first like this woe is me kind of thing, but then it's like at the end you feel like, okay, you can see the, the bigger picture. Yeah. Well, it works for me. Well, there's one thing you did was good for me. You showed me things that I just couldn't see. Made me realize I do need love. Even though in the end I wasn't good enough. Oh, the way you heard me showed me how to love. feel about using your voice as an instrument you spend most of your life developing these amazing chops on the guitar now you're singing a lot do you view it similarly in terms of like technique and practice and that kind of thing yeah i think so um because i i approach them both in the, in the same way which is just figuring it out and just doing it and then it sounds bad for a while and then eventually something sounds good and you're like oh i think i'll just do that again yeah <laughs> All right, one more song. These things, I love this song. Do you know how songs sometimes like sneak up on you? It takes a few listens for a song really to find its way into your brain. This is what happened to me with this one. I think it might be my favorite on the record. It is like I appreciate that hauntingly beautiful, both in the lyrics and the sounds of it. The way you use that "these things" tagline throughout the song in different ways. Um, all of it is really great. What can you tell us about about the writing or the creation of this song? Well, that means a lot. Thank you. Um, yeah. That that song, um, that song is the one that I felt uh, really proud of because 
I think of all the songs, that was the one where I just abandoned the notion of the blues. And I was just like, I just want to write a song that really means something. And it was another one of those things where I was exploring different points of view and just trying to test my growth as a songwriter. And that was one where I felt like I was, I was onto something, which I, that song is really the, people say like, you would hear the last, uh, the last or a certain track of a David Bowie album, and it would give you the hint of what the next album was going to sound like. Yeah, like that's that's that song for me. Like that is the, that's the direction that I've continued to go in since since I finished this record. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, th- particularly lyrically, the the way you work with the lyrics in this song is really it's it's sophisticated, um, and so I I. I I think this is the way you should go also. Oh, thank you. (laughs) For whatever that's worth. Um, It's worth a lot. Thank you. (laughs) If I could be your place to hide, I'd tell you the sweetest lies. Knowing we won't get our lives. I tell you that we'll be okay If I could be your mercy seat Where your secrets come to sleep And not the reason that you weep I wouldn't be alone With my heart in my throat And my stomach on the floor I'm beaten and I'm broken But I'm coming back for more And I miss you like an eagle With a broken is the skies above we will watch over these things all right i've taken up almost as much time of yours as i'm going to allow myself to i do have kind of a big picture no one more big picture song big picture song big picture question if we look back on your long and varied career so far you're still a young person more specifically, your career as a creative person. Are there things you think you've gotten better at specifically over the recent past or maybe some things you are actively working to try and get better at? Yeah, I'm, I've definitely gotten better at uh, trying to get better at things. You know, I think a lot of my mid-20s, I kind of spent at this plateau where I felt like, because I, I, I felt like I had accomplished a lot musically, you know, by the time I was 20 and I kind of just sat there in it for probably too long. But I've, I've realized now that the older I get, the I'm never going to, I'm never going to want to just stay where I am. So I've, I enjoy growing and learning like I used to when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, I'm, wor- I'm working on everything. I'm trying to be a more, you know, a creative guitar player and a more emotional singer and just connecting with people is, is what I'm really working on. That was a very good meta answer to the question. You're trying to get better at getting better at things. That was, yeah. that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like I had sent you the questions in advance, but I did not. <laughs> yeah. I started that. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, all right. So thanks so much for taking the time. You are, when this comes out, the, the album will be out and you will be out touring, right? With drive, drive by truckers. Do I have that right? That's yeah, a, it'll be all over the place. That's a pretty cool tour to be part of. Um, yeah, that's great. So folks should be looking for you coming to a venue near them with Drive-By Truckers, right? That's true. That's correct. 
All right. Buffalo Nichols, thanks so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I really enjoyed this record, and I look forward to what's coming next. Thanks. I had a great time. Mm-hmm.